Hey yo! Welcome back to Settle the Far. This is Corey Garvey, your podcast host, coming to you from the beautiful countryside of England. On this show, I talk about whatever it is that is interesting to me. That could be the various careers that I've had, some of the different places I've traveled to, different mental states of being I've encountered, or more likely, the things that many of my guests have gone through in their lives. Today is no exception, talking to one of my best and longest friends, Arian. But before we get to that, let's touch on a few other topics. First thing is Anthony Bourdain. Man, I did not realize how much I love that guy until I started dipping into Parts Unknown more recently. And gosh, I thought at some point, you know, I watched some of his earlier stuff. I never really caught on fully, and I, I never really watched all of it. Um, I read Kitchen Confidential probably in the beginning of my time in college, and I was inspired uh, just to understand what was going on and just the rawness with which he wrote. But dipping back into his Netflix series or his CNN series um, and really seeing how he traveled and, and just loved meeting people and loved the little intricacies. He has this one where he goes to Indonesia and they're in Fiji and he's just cracking up about how all the Westerners come there and they go to these really nice resorts and stay in these really beautiful um, places, just making, eating trashy food and not really enjoying and, and experiencing the country for what it is. Meanwhile, he's out in Indonesia eating, you know, frog heads and whatever it is that they're serving in the street, but with the people and really eating the really good food that's cooked in a local way and has that culture behind it. And there's just so much to love. Man, what a loss. Um, He does everything from those streets in Southeast Asia where he's, you know, chomping noodles at two in the morning with prostitutes on the side of a busy intersection to being in Lyon, France and eating at one of the best restaurants in the world, getting waited on while sitting next to one of the best chefs in the world. I mean, the guy was a a legend. And when he went to Western Massachusetts, he didn't just sit there and, and, you know, talk about the Red Sox and and eat some, like, towny hot dogs or something. He got into the heroin epidemic. And that was what that episode was about, was really understanding how that epidemic was and is affecting a region. Um, his show was so much more than a cooking show. It wasn't even a cooking show. It wasn't even a food show. It was a show about culture and about his ability to understand how food could play into the culture, but also, first and foremost, what was going on in the culture and how he could connect to it. So if you haven't watched any Anthony Bourdain, take the time. Um, the guy was the man, and... I think the final two episodes where his crew is really talking about what it was like to make that show are are a good place to start um, if you haven't gotten back into it lately because, oh, what a legend. And, and they go through a lot of what that experience was like for them. The other thing I wanted to get to is just, uh, yeah, what went on this week? Some good, good stuff this week. Got over to the hospital yesterday, had to give a little blood, never really liked doing that. Um, 
yeah, just generally trying to trying to keep my mind right. You know, if there's one thing I could say that's been the biggest improvement for me lately, it is having those moments when I'm ticked off, you know, wake up yesterday, I get an email from someone, I just don't want that email. I just don't want to deal with that person and making my coffee, doing my breakfast, usually that'll rile me up. I'm thinking about what I'm going to write back. I'm all worked up and just realizing it's just one thought. You know, it's just one thought that hit your head and just let it go out and enjoy the spot right now because you don't really care that much about that email. You know, you care about having the coffee. You care about spending time with with family, you care about smelling the beautiful morning air, but you don't care that much about the email, so why would you let it take up your time? And I'm trying to remind myself of that as frequently as possible these days, and it's actually working better than expected. Um, definitely have practiced this a bit through meditating, and it's the big thing. If you've ever done Headspace, you know, you have those those gray clouds that cover up the sun, but the sun, it's still back there. The clouds just got to move out of the way and you'll get the sun. And I think doing that, I've, I've, I haven't meditated much recently, but having that practice and understanding the purpose, um, I think 10% Happier is a great book by Dan Harris. If you haven't read that uh, or really gotten into meditation, it's one that's a, that's a good introduction. But Headspace, of course, and it just, it's been a really good way to remove these anxious trips I go on of, you know, getting pissed off by something and it just takes over for half an hour. So catching it before it does that, that's, that's the goal these days. All right, enough of my comings and goings. Anthony Bourdain, Headspace, 10% Happier, check him out. But now let's get on to the good stuff. Chatted this week with my buddy, Arian. She and I have quite a history. We went to middle school, high school, college, and then both moved out to San Francisco at about the same time. And that was 10 years ago now. Um, I've, you know, we're, we're thick as thieves, as they say. I get along with her extremely well. Excited to uh, hear what your feedback is in our conversation. She lives in San Francisco. She started an awesome company. We don't get into the company so much. Had to save something for episode two with her on here. But we do talk about San Francisco. We talk about her parents who are immigrants and what their experience was like. I hope you enjoy it. And yeah, here it is. My chat with Arian. All right. Hey, Arian. Good to see you. Thanks for coming on the pod. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited and I'm, I'm curious. It's already kind of end of January. Have I, am I following a, a group of folks that have been on this year or am no, I the first no. of 2022? <laughs> you are not the first of 2022, but you are at toward the top of the list. I had a little conversation with uh, two other alumni of Garden City High School, class of 2006, the other day. Wow. That was a two. That was a two for one, though. This is the first one-on-one conversation of 2022. So, you take I'm that. I'm excited honor. to join the group. Um, we were just talking about my living situation over here in England, and I thought it was worth getting this on record. Um, <laughs> so I was saying that being here 
pretty far away from London. I live like an hour away. Um, it has been, it was weird. Like the first year we, we were really fine. And, and having a kid during that time made it a lot easier to be inside and not really have that many commitments to have to meet a lot of people. You know, obviously it was nice to like get out to a restaurant for the first time after things opened up again. But then sometime last year toward the end of the year, maybe it's that it started getting darker because it gets darker here. Um, I got into this just mode of things being constantly sort of the, the same all the time. How has... Have you hit into any of that in California? And I wonder, especially with like being able to get outside, being able to get to the sunshine, that was always my favorite part about California. Has that been a nice aspect of this whole COVID situation? Yeah. So, um, well, first, I will say I feel the same way that you were about how earlier in COVID, it was nice to not feel FOMO, but everyone is doing something and I'm not. Um, um, And I think now it's really, I'm definitely tired of the feeling that every day feels like not too dissimilar from the day before. Um, San Francisco, I've been back here since July of 2021. Um, And post COVID San Francisco is definitely not the same as it was before. Um, you do get the beautiful sunshine. And so we get to get out and do a bunch of hikes throughout the weekends and just get outside during the day. And that's a nice break, but the people are, are the reason why I moved. You're, you're the reason why I moved. Um, and not having people here definitely makes the city feel different. So I think even though I know you're outside of London, you're, you know, an hour plus away from the city, I can tell you that even being in the city doesn't feel like you get the benefits of it. You know, you don't get to see people as frequently. When you say, so is it that you're not seeing people? Because I, or is it that people, people you're close to don't live there? Or is it just people in general? Because I hear a lot of chatter about San Francisco on other podcasts on, (laughs) uh, yeah, I don't even know, like, I guess it's other podcasts, but everybody's hating on San Francisco these days, I feel like. <laughs> and I haven't been there in four years. That's crazy. I haven't even stepped foot there. I actually realized I that this um, March, was it March? Yeah, this March will be 10 years since I moved out there. And oh since you came, you visited and we uh, ended up, you ended up moving out there also. Yeah, is it is it that specific people aren't there, or is it the whole city is kind of dead, or people are just inside? <laughs> I can tell you my experience is both of the first two. So a lot of my friends left the city, um, understandably so. I think like with COVID, life got accelerated, and kind of the move outside of the city uh, and that decision and that timeline accelerated for a lot of people. So a lot of my closest friends left. So there's definitely just fewer people to see. Um, And then on top of that, the city has not come back to what it was pre-COVID. People are, the downtown areas where my office is, it's completely dead during the week. It used to be the one where you go there and you just always see people walking around the streets. Um, The closer and closer you get to like the financial district or just 
so like much Montgomery in and Powell streets and stuff. That area, I will, I could count on one hand the people that I'll see if I walk there. Um, and Soma, where we are, where there are a ton of office buildings, all of the restaurants and places that used to be crowded and open for lunch are shut down. Um, it's wow. just a complete ghost town in areas that used to be so populated. So I would say it's a combination. It's like there's obviously a lot of, you know, I, I miss the friends that I had here and I'm some like looser, a lot of like looser acquaintances, but the people that aside for one or two that I would consider the people that were my like closest friends have all left. And yeah, yeah just, I don't know. I don't get the people who are like, San Francisco is coming back. I don't see that happening. What is the, I can't imagine what that's like for like commercial real estate, I guess, because I remember when you and I first got there, we really saw through a lot of really good connections that we had we saw the building of these phenomenal office spaces, like Airbnb, Dropbox. Mm-hmm. I imagine Stripe's offices are awesome. Twitter had awesome offices in the city. Like, are those just ghost towns right now? All of those huge Completely. office buildings? Completely. My office right now is really close to South Park Street, which is where a lot of the VCs have their offices. And that park, which is like the center of yeah. that street, used to be completely full during the day, especially because in the middle of the day, it's very sunny outside. Everyone would have their lunch outside. Um, I went there yesterday and I saw 10 people max in the park. Wow. So smaller offices are closed. And then right around the corner is Dropbox's newest office. And that is a complete ghost town. I've actually gone there. There's a restaurant there that um, I've gone for dinner and it doesn't look like anyone comes in and out of that building. Um, wow. so yeah, Stripe has left the city. I know that they had it. I've been to their offices in Soma, pretty sure they're moving outside of the city, but regardless, nobody's been going in. Wow. So I'm, I'm and, I imagine, yeah. What is that? What has that done to, you know, I think, um, like the Soma area where a lot of those buildings were became, it was becoming from my memory, like the, the, the cool spot in the city, like all the good coffee shops, <laughs> restaurants and things. A lot of places yeah. were going in around there. And it's obviously right near uh, AT&T Park where the Giants play. <laughs> and it was becoming sweet. Like I think real estate just to live around there was becoming crazy. Even if you were going to stay, live above some dingy bar or something like <laughs> everywhere was really expensive. But uh, the cool spots were still like Hayes Valley, the mission, you know, where it was like really leisurely, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Is it still, is Valencia Street like that? Is, you know, downtown Hayes Valley, are those empty? Um, On the weekends, you'll see, you'll definitely see a lot of people. They, what they, what's nice about what they've done in San Francisco is Valencia Street and the Hayes Valley area near some of our favorite places like Anina and all of those like outdoor bars and restaurants are those streets have become slow streets. So you can't drive. And so the whole street is people can just like walk um, Valencia. during the weekends, Valencia, um, not the whole Valencia, but like three blocks of Valencia get shut down okay. from starting Thursday until Sunday at night so that people can just like walk between the restaurants and walk between the bars. And that's become Ooh. really nice. I think the, you know, 
and maybe it's because it's like the New Yorker in me, but I'll always look for the flaws in San Francisco. It's nice that they've done that, but there's so much homelessness that it's not like a nice environment to be walking around. It's still, you see a lot of homeless people just like loitering in between the restaurants and coming up to you when you're sitting at your table. It doesn't smell that great. Like there are a lot of like unfortunate realities of the city um, that have been exacerbated in COVID, but um, the, you, you see a lot more people in those areas during the weekends. Yeah, sure. Well, how, okay. So you're still living there. It sounds like you are, uh, I don't know, torn maybe is the right (laughs) way to put it as far as how you feel about being there. Um, what is, what is your regular sort of routine like then? You said you were out at this park the other day, but are you, I know you work on a small team. Um, are you working from home? Do you, do you go to an office space? What is that like? Yeah. Um, since I came back to San Francisco, we have an office that, um, is in Soma. Um, so I actually go in usually twice a week and work from there. We have, it's a three person team here in San Francisco. Um, but Serena, my co-founder is, uh, down on the peninsula. So, um, she will usually come up like once a week. Um, but the engineer on our team and I try and meet twice a week at the office. Otherwise I work from home or I, I travel down and work from Serena's, um, house. So my routine is a little in flux. I, it's, kind of centered around those parameters for the most part. Um, but it varies by week, which days I go in, uh, which is nice because I can take, you know, I can work out in the middle of the day if I, re- if I really want to, um, obviously being a founder, I maybe get a little bit more control anyway, but the last few months have been pretty focused on work. So I would say my routine is just work. Yeah. I know the deal a little bit. I mean, I'm not the founder, and I still uh, feel the responsibility, I guess, to, to work pretty hard. But, like, I was telling you how I have uh, moving outside the city. Like, mm-hmm. I haven't been going into the office very much. And right. a lot of it has to do with having a kid and having to drive him around to nursery, pick him up, stuff like that. But also, I think just the comfort of seeing whatever I have ahead in the work day and being like, well, the commute is going to slow things down, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year we've made a conscious effort to try to meet people more frequently on the weekends to try to get to the office weekly, at least. I went yesterday and it was even just the commute, physically moving between places was really nice. Um is this something you actively think about? Like, it sounds like you're living in a pretty a pretty small world between your work and going to the office. And I don't, I don't know, I'm not trying to like pass any judgment, but like, it's hard, right? And this is, I think, what a lot of people have dealt with throughout COVID. And I know you and I, at least when I was in California, which now turns out I was, I've actually been here in the UK longer than I was in California. Um, Seriously, but when I was what? yeah, I know it's like five and a half years here now. Um, when I was there, we had such a big social circle, and 
the first day I arrived, something on a on a vacation. Um, one of the things that sold me on it was how even weekdays seemed like a day you could like get together with people at the park or something. And now it's like I don't even I don't even know who I would get together with over here. Like I don't even know. Um, so is that something you you have had you've thought about consciously over the last? Yeah, I don't know, couple years. <laughs> Since starting Absolutely. the company and, and COVID yeah. and all? Yeah, I think um, I really like seeing other faces during the day. I, I can't just sit in my apartment, even if I had a separate space, and feel excited about a full day of work. So I actually, I'm very productive when I go into our office, and I like the idea of some separation and even just getting yeah. out, getting on the bike and biking for 15 minutes you know, I, I guess it, it's a lot easier for me because it's it's such a short commute. Um, I enjoy that. So and you have I, a bike? I, I use the bike share. Okay. Yeah, me too. I do that in London. Um, it's my favorite thing. P.S. We, I will hopefully be in London in a couple of months, so we need to All right. talk about that. <laughs> huh? We can get the bike share going in London. It was my brother's oh, favorite, for sure. favorite activity in London was us getting some... some Boris bikes, they call them over here. Because back when Boris was the mayor, he implemented the bike share. Uh, and we run around the city. Oh, my God. Wait. I'm so down. That would be my favorite day, too. Um, I like, yeah, I, I definitely like and need and prioritize the separation. And I agree with you. I think it's, I loved the San Francisco that it was when you moved here and convinced me to move here, which I also had a very similar experience thanks to you. I remember my first day landing in San Francisco, you made me drive up to the top of Potrero Hill when I had like literally never driven on steep hills like that before, let alone expected that to be in like a city. <sighs> Just yeah. so I could see the view. You really wanted me to see the view and it was like the most spectacular part of landing in San Francisco and then going to Dolores Park and realizing that you can have a beer in the middle of a park in the middle of the workday and you won't be the only one there. <laughs> there won't be a lot of other people there. I think it's, it's age, you know, that we don't have that, you know, flexibility anymore. Um, Does that but... still happen? Like if I was 26 right now or 24 or whatever, is that... Question. Is that gone? Like, it feels like COVID ended that. And I feel just thankful that I got it when it was a lot, when it was there, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely feel for the, like, 22 young, mid-20-year-olds who either had to graduate with COVID or just never go to an office in the past two years. Um, yeah. I think they definitely lost that. And even just this, yeah, the fear of catching it probably you know, makes people a lot more cautious, but I haven't been to the park in the middle of the day to, to validate whether or not it's totally yeah. gone, but it, it's definitely not as crowded as it used to be even on the weekends. Yeah. I, I think that the, God, there's so many, there's so many things to be thankful for as far as the timing of COVID for us, just having kind of gotten through the, cause you, you mentioned people graduating, going into the workplace. Imagine, just when we started at school. Um, yeah. So for the listeners, you know, I think we have had a long history. We now probably 
have known each other over 20 years and that was like middle school, high school, college, and then San Francisco together. And I remember when we first, I mean, college, we used to go to huge frat parties. There's no way those things are going down, at least in 2020, 2021. Um, right. I, I, yeah. I hope, I, I mean, maybe they were, but I think, I think that they were putting a kibosh on that anyways. Um, they definitely rebounded. There's no way that they hadn't played like beer pong, even though part of me would probably yeah. never play beer pong again. Um, I don't because know. Because of maybe. the germs. But yeah, maybe I would. I probably would. Yeah. yeah if we could go back to LCA and play some beer pong, yeah, I would totally do that. Yeah. Uh, someday. Um, we- so coming in, coming into this year, are there are there any things you know for us it was meeting people socializing a bit more trying to and this is what i meant to say is that those activities where i'll go out and i even if it's like two of our close friends um that live in london and we're going to take the weekend to go see them and i see it now we're going to go into london this weekend it has this build up and then we might do something fun go out to dinner and then that moment sort of carries me like on some high through like the next few days and every little thing of even like having to wake up in the middle of the night, take care of my son or something like that. I'm not as frustrated by it because there's some overarching thing going on. Um, And I think that is what I've noticed has been sort of missing. Like for me at least is, and, and yesterday I went into the office and there's a commute and it takes time and there's interaction with people and you you get to people watch a little bit and I get to like ride the Boris bike through the city and see different things. And not having that, um, forces my mind to like wander to places and, and to problems that aren't real, you know, that aren't like important. Um, yeah. So I, I guess that's my, I'm wondering, like, I don't know. Do you feel that as well? And does, does the, the stress of, like, does this change? I don't know if this is something that makes sense, but does this change based on being sort of the founder of a company and feeling like there's stress? Do you have like different stress on the company that you specifically need to get away from the company or you want to focus more on the company or anything like that? I think you put it really well with the kind of vision of having um, something outside of your day-to-day to to look forward to and that really anchors you and and gives you energy Um, and I'm I'm that I relate to that a lot Um, as far as it comes to Rhea and what we've been doing for the last few months I went on a trip to Hawaii for nine days over New Year's and I didn't look at work I I knew I couldn't I was just like, I I need to be fully offline because otherwise my mind, if I just look a little bit, my mind will always go there. And luckily, I think we had everything set up where I didn't have to look at it or or do anything for it. But I think I would have gone crazy if I came back from that trip and felt like, oh, even some part of it I had to give to this company. I feel like I give 99% of me to the company most of my days and most of my weeks and I need that like separation and I I agree with you that um having that has given me energy coming into 2022 
um, and will hopefully carry me and, and having these plans, like hopefully this London trip in, in April yeah. will give me something to look forward to that like carries me through, you know, the weeks in between that are frankly very monot monotonous. Um, obviously being a parent is so much harder and I won't understand, you know, I, I'm not able to understand what, how difficult that is, but I can tell you at least just as founder, as a person post COVID in a city that hasn't quite come back. It was very different in New York, I will say. I got to see people every single day, and that was awesome. But um, I do feel that same kind of, I look forward to these things that switch up the week. Uh, and I try and incorporate them where possible, and it's not easy to. Yeah. When you say New York, so you were in New York in mid-2021, is that right? Yeah, I went. I left San Francisco like September 2020 and and went to New York until July, 2021. So I was there for about 10 oh, months um, over the winter. So there were many months where it was just cold and I didn't even leave the apartment. Um, but I think when you're on the East coast, you also get used to it. So yeah. a lot of folks there were willing to, even though it was COVID, we weren't vaccinated yet to, we were willing to do things outside, even though it was cold because that, Oh, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, we went to New York and like, yeah, people were, I mean, we had a, God, like a four month old child and we were meeting people outside just to yeah. have just, a coffee yeah. or something. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't believe that was the only time I met him. Yeah. It seems crazy that, you know, yeah. the, it became so normal to, to do that yeah. or to go obviously inside with masks on and everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I guess people in New York kind of did tough it out a little bit on the. Yeah. The outdoor stuff. Um, what was I going to... What is, um, you know, coming into into this year, I guess going to Hawaii for nine days, that sounds amazing. Where were you in Hawaii? Um, we did Kauai for the first half oh. and then Oahu for the second half. Um, it was really nice. We got like a little unlucky, rained for a lot of it, like pouring rain, not tropical rain where it's like oh, an yeah. hour and done. It was full days, but... Still, I'd never been to Kauai, and the hikes and the views were absolutely incredible. Um, we had gone with two other friends um, that That's sweet. from from the Bay Area too, so it was like a really fun like friends trip. Um, yeah, the only time nice I've to been to Hawaii out. went we went to Kauai, and it was oh, nice. still like one of the nicest trips I've ever been on. It's so oh, it's God. so lush. Like, it's I couldn't so believe green. it. It's so different from Oahu. I felt like I'd been to Oahu twice, and I felt like when I landed in Kauai, one of my first reactions was, I can't believe this is the U.S. because of how Hawaiian it feels in a great way. In a great way, it's like kept its culture, at least Kauai. And then once you start entering these cities, you're like, oh, no, wait, this is colonialized. Like you can really feel yeah. that like it's it's been, yeah. Americanized, um, but it was it was beautiful. Definitely, like we stayed we stayed up on up near the north coast. Nice, but in this Air, Airbnb and Princeville. It was it was like the Airbnb. It was so funny. The Airbnb was in this. It was kind of off one of the main roads, south, like on that north road, but it went south. So I don't think we were far from Princeville. That's one of the last towns before you get to the coast, right? To the Nepali coast. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And we get to this Airbnb. It was this awesome space where every bedroom, there were like five bedrooms, but they were all accessible from the outside. And the, oh, cool. the kitchen itself was sort of outdoor, indoor. The whole place Whoa. had this really outdoorsy feel. Right when we get there, the first thing we do is bring our stuff into the room and then we're ready to go out and we locked our keys in the car. Like first day that we're there. So we got a triple A on the spot in the middle of Hawaii. Oh, Oh, no. That was crazy. That didn't Um, put a damper on the rest of the trip. No, it was was all good. It was such a nice place. And you brought up the rain, the tropical storm. We got hit with a tropical storm at one point where we had to pull over. And it just oh my God. rained so Made hard. I mean, t- yeah, it was like flooding onto the onto the car from up up top. That infrastructure on in Kauai was pretty eye opening. You know, it was it was constantly a dichotomy for me, which was like, oh, it's it's part of the U.S., which was it's awesome and, and should be awesome, but then it doesn't have the infrastructure support that it needs. So many yeah. roads were completely flooded. Main roads, the only road to get from one part of the North Shore all the way to the other, you could not cross because the water was too high. And same with this like bridge. So it was just really interesting to yeah. kind of constantly be balancing that fact. Definitely. Um, do you have any 2022 resolutions? Anything you can share? Um, yeah, you actually might be able to help me with one of them. Um, I really want to cook more. Um, okay. I've just never enjoyed it and I don't enjoy, typically enjoy things I'm bad at. So that's, so I'm trying to learn how to cook things that All right, actually this is taste good. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. What, uh, tell me about your cooking now. What do you, what do you cook? What do you feel comfortable cooking and what do you cook frequently? <laughs> yeah, I, well, thankfully, Arjun does is a very good cook, and so he actually does most of it. But my new resolution is to at least do like two days a week. So what I've become better at is like just really basic. It's like roasted vegetables and, um, yeah, mainly just like roasting vegetables and putting it into like a bowl of some sort. Maybe it's like a salad bowl with. Okay. Faro or other vegetables, but yeah, so it's it's really basic. It's really embarrassing, but I I don't have that like I'm not a foodie. I, for me, it's like sustenance. But because sure. he's such a good cook, it's like I I can't actually cook if it's not going to be good. What do you, um do you eat meat? Yeah. Do you, made, do like, you eat fish? And, okay. Uh, do you eat eggs? I eat okay. everything. Do you, you cook eggs? Like, like mm-hmm. where are you at with that kind of stuff? Like, are you comfortable oh, yeah. around the stove? I feel like I've been with you. I feel like we've cooked together. Okay. I'm really good at, no, like I, I can like warm up something on a stove. So we, you usually do all the cooking, frankly. <laughs> I think, so I, I um, will have a conversation I had with Chris and Pete up around some tacos. We all made tacos separately and then we talk about our experience making tacos and i i did not cook really at all going into my once i arrived in san francisco like i think new york has that type of effect on people you know not many people are living in their in in their early 20s in their new york apartment Mm -hmm. doing much cooking 
I should tell a story right now. When I was in that situation and I was in New York, I went away with, I think it was like six of my friends up to Vermont to go skiing. And we got this place. And I remember we were going back um, after like a long day of skiing and everyone was hungry, right? Everyone's starving. Some people probably ate lunch, but like the the food at the mountains, like not that good. And it's also overpriced. So you don't want to wait on the lines, all that kind of thing. So everyone's like, you know, waiting for dinner and willing to wait it out because usually the day ends at 4.30 or something like that. And I remember we went into the grocery store and I picked up a butternut squash and I had no idea what I was doing. Okay. And I didn't even, I wasn't even good at like Googling on my phone at that point. And I thought I could just kind of cut it in half and put it in the oven and then we could eat it. I don't even know what I, I don't even think I've ever eaten butternut squash. Okay. So we get back and there were a few other things, different people picked up different things. And I remember just being so embarrassed that I had no, I had no understanding that this thing's going to take like an hour and 20 minutes to cook and everyone's sitting around and this is not the thing they're going to be eating. And, and Chris was with me on the trip and I think he cooked up something like tacos where you can just like take some chicken, get it cooked up, some vegetables, make a little station, people can make their own tacos. And then when he moved out to California and moved in with me, he started just cooking every day. And I think that the consistency is a big part of it. And he kind of was telling me he grew up in a house that like they didn't do any baking. They never measured anything. It was just Mm. kind of throw it in the pan, feel it out. Um, So if I could have any suggestion just as a first, you know, piece of advice, it's just making cooking. I I think sustenance is fine, but it can taste good too. You know, so having a few, having a few spices on hand, yeah. uh, maybe maybe some some things like garlic, and you can buy a lot of these things pre-chopped. So something like garlic sucks to chop. Like, yeah. you know, it's got like way chopping too many layers. Yeah, chopping in general, huh? Sucks. Yeah. Okay, so I, some <laughs> chopping can be cathartic. Um, <laughs> And you know what? If if you if you if you outsource all of the work of the cooking, you're kind of just buying like a frozen dinner. But the yeah, some of the chopping I like. Like certain vegetables are, I make salads a lot for myself. But like salads with, like you said, you know, I'll I'll heat up maybe some tempeh or tofu or chicken or something like that, and I'll put Mm. it into a salad. And the process of chopping the carrots and the celery and stuff that I'm putting in the salad, Mm. I love it. I think oh, like wow. the, the the knife through those vegetables is a very it's a very comforting feeling for me. The sounds are I all see that. you know it hits a lot of senses. Um, mm-hmm. So what do you have a first like what what steps are you taking toward being more of a cook? Yeah, so I'm starting very basic with salads because I think actually salads are hard to make them feel like good and filling as a meal. So I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos from, I think some of the folks that left Bon Appetit and they're on like Food 52, I've been like watching theirs and then just recreating. Um, And then 
trying to like make it my own versus just going by the recipe. Cause I feel like if I constantly go by the recipe, then I won't really understand and yeah. internalize like what the, do you have any tips on the, or any takeaways here on the salad front? Cause I'm a huge salad, good salad person. Like I don't like a bad salad, but yeah. Good hearty salad. Yeah. I guess I've been at like experimenting with farro and, and just put putting that a little bit of that in every salad. I think, um, you cook the farro, cook it beforehand and then just cook it in bulk beforehand and then just like put that in the fridge and then use it a little bit at a time. Um, making like a dressing in bulk, like finding a dressing recipe, um, you like, and I think, Dijon mustard and dressing actually goes a long way. When I did not have yeah. that, it tasted pretty bad. Or not bad, but like bland and harsh on the vinegar. Um, yeah. But I think the principles of like at least some of the videos I've watched are anything can be a salad. So yeah. like obviously make the base, get the leaves that you like and the texture that you like and add in all other types of textures. So roasted vegetables you can even put some like yeah like you were saying grilled meats um cheeses you can even like warm up put warm cheese on it too just like add so many different textures um and that really helps make it like both bulky and satisfying not um yeah kind of i'm a big i'm a big fan of like so chris got me into this and and i think i could i could talk salads all day um (laughs) A very important aspect of the salad, I think, is the bowl. So, like, <laughs> to me, I, this was, like, my, my big birthday gift last year from Aslan was, yeah. was, like, an, a nice, a really nice bowl. It's this green, one of these, like, recycled plastic bowls. But it fits the size salad that I need very well. Um, yeah. I actually... So you mi- mix have, it in another bowl. No, I'll use this bowl and... Okay. And I, it's probably only 60% full, but it's a good size bowl. Like if I really right. filled it up, yeah. most of the time I won't eat the whole thing if it's full or I won't eat it in one sitting. Um, yeah. And I kind of start with a base of of something that is very fibrous. So either kale or cabbage. I really like red cabbage. And this is where chopping comes in. You got to chop it pretty small because like red cabbage is pretty hearty. So if you get like mm. a big thick piece of red cabbage, it doesn't um mix well with everything else very well Mm -hmm. like it's not very soft um but i'll go with like red cabbage carrots raw carrots raw celery um raw red onions and Mm -hmm. then i think it's all about the other things so like the things that are on like the door of your fridge i think that's like the secret to a good salad so Mm -hmm. i'll usually have some protein that i'll heat up usually it's kind of plant-based these days but then Mm -hmm. My big, my favorite salad ingredient, easily number one, hmm. is tahini. I'm a big fan of tahini in the salad. It adds like this, and like a little bit goes a really long way. It okay. adds this creaminess to it. Um, Do you some mix people are not tahini fans. I I love tahini. I I end up using I. It's like everything happens in series into the bowl. And so I'll right now I actually have the the raw vegetables chopped up in a big thing at the beginning of the week because I had time to do that. And then Mm -hmm. I'll take some of that out. 
I will immediately usually put the vinegar on. I'll put like some apple cider vinegar and yep. or red wine vinegar and some olive oil to start breaking down those like pretty hearty hmm. cabbage and stuff like that. And then and then I'll start I usually have some chopped tempeh tofu something like that going on a stove. So I like some heat along with it. Like if it's if it has a hot ingredient like you said the cheese, <laughs> I think something hot makes a good a salad better. And then right now I'm at some feta um, and then I'll take a little teaspoon almost, some tahini, some harissa. Ever had harissa? Ooh. Yeah. Which is nice. Um, that adds like a, a spiciness, so you got to be into that. I add a mustard, more like a brown mustard seeds, like the really raw mustard kind of stuff. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I'm trying to think what else. Something else that I really like, I don't know if you've ever... Yeah, you gotta get into this. Cooking is so fun. I have. You, do you have masterclass? I don't, but I, I actually be down to sign up and and take a couple classes. You could probably get a trial. Masterclass is really good, and then um, one of the cooks on there is is Yotnam Odolengi. He's a oh, big nice. cook over here in yeah. London. Anyways, one of the things that he I talked about this with Chris and Pete that he pushes or that he has in his cookbook thing, his masterclass is called Duka. And he takes a bunch of seeds and nuts and he toasts them and then he kind of crushes them up and that is really good in a salad. And so like it adds more texture like you said. And then what I'll do is I'll get that on the bowl and then I just, I don't even mix it. I just take a small knife and just chop it. And the chopping really like mixes things together. Amazing. I'm totally going to try this and I will let you know how it goes. Spend time on the condiment aisle. Like the yeah. the mini pickles, the small peppers, like all those little things mm. are good additions. Yeah. Oh, man. That sounds really good. I do have a long way to go, though. I realize my my cooking. Um, it takes some time. Luckily, I think. The, yeah, it just is like a long. Um, it's a journey. And like, I think the benefit of it is that at the end of it, you have something to eat. Like, I don't know about you. I spent a lot of time working on some like, you know, websites and things that have turned into just like, you know, internet graveyard. But at least the bad salads I make, I get to eat at the end. Oh my god, that's so true. Yeah, that's a nice uh, balance. Yeah, with my day to day, I feel like we're constantly like two steps forward, one step backward. Yeah. Um, but yeah. The only, my only rule, the only rule, because we obviously uh, share a friend, Clement, who is quite a established cook. He has a oh, man. very I'm popular bakery. I think they're opening one in the dog patch, right? Or did they? If they did, I'm going to find it. Um, I do trek out rumor. to Bread Belly where it is, even though it's like a 20 plus minute drive. <laughs> uh, and he, he was always great to be with in the kitchen. Very, very easy to be around because he didn't, I don't know if other cooks are like this, but he never put pressure that like, oh, your food stinks. You know, he'd make the meal with everybody and he would do the hard parts, like the mise en place chopping that nobody wants mm-hmm. to do. Um, but I, I I don't even think he had any rules, but, but he kind of taught me, you know, there's no rules to cooking. Like it's one, mm-hmm. it's an important thing. It's just to not be too, too serious. The one thing I think is important 
is don't burn things. Because once you burn yeah. things, they just, you know. You can't. No good. No good. Um, on this, I wonder if you... Why, why you didn't pick up any cooking skills from your parents? I would imagine. I mean, I... The only whenever I go to your parents' house, they offer me something to eat, and <laughs> I distinctly remember going to your high school graduation, where I think we had a nice, at least an Indian spread of food. Um, yeah. Were they cooking at home when you were younger? My mom did all the cooking and still does. Um, so yes, cooking has definitely been uh, something that I've been around. I think. I don't know if it's um, my parents always wanted me to be focused on schoolwork or, you know, it was kind of like the expectation of learning was never really there. And um, I think I picked the things that I was curious about and it wasn't cooking. Um, (laughs) I I just like maybe maybe if you're like really and I think it's hard to say which comes first, you know, if you're interested in cooking then you become really interested in the flavors um and then but then at the same time if you're interested in flavors you could become good at cooking like neither of those were really entry points for me um (laughs) but i think now um it's more it's like becoming more of a curiosity and obviously like it's just a better important skill set to have um you know especially as you you guys have a kid you have to you have to cook for yourselves and for you know uh growing kids so it's important to learn. So, um, and then I also think that I mean, my parents could be really critical. So I don't think that I would want to really get in the kitchen and start doing things and that be told yeah. that I'm doing it wrong. So <laughs> what is your mom? What was your mom cooking? Was it, uh, Puerto Rican food? She runs the gamut. She um, cooked a lot of Italian food, some Puerto Rican food, but Puerto Rican food's pretty limited. It's really rice, beans, and chicken. Um, And she learned Indian food from all of my parents' friends, as well as my dad's siblings. So throughout my whole life, she always was experimenting with different Indian dishes, and she makes it very regularly. Um, And I'm, I'm really proud of that fact, proud of her and impressed that she, you know, could just expressed interest in learning and learned it and, and made really good food. Um, yeah. I'm interested in this because I'm in a somewhat similar position. I have a mm. Turkish side of my family and yeah. they're very good cooks. A lot of really good cooks. Wow. And uh, Aslan's uncle, I would say, is probably the best cook of the family, but her mom, her mom makes the most comforting food but Mm. her her uncle will make like more maybe complex dishes sometimes um Mm. did yeah like how how did your mom how did i mean i guess i guess it's hard to like what was it like was she was she around your father's siblings a lot like how did she pick this stuff up i think well, my mom is a very curious person and she's like the most detail oriented person I know. And I feel like I know of a lot of very detail oriented people. She doesn't like doing something even 99% of the way for her. It's like, I need to know all of it. 
and I need, I need to do it all perfectly. And so I think that just tendency as well as she's very open. She's just so willing to put herself out there. So she'll ask yeah. all of her friends, all of my parents' friends, um, to show her a new dish and she would learn from them. I think obviously this was all pre YouTube. Um, growing up now, she's like learning stuff on YouTube. Um, but I think the most, most of her learning was if one of my dad's either siblings or mom would come and visit and stay with us for a while, she'd pick up dishes from them. But the more consistent thing I think was the, her friends and asking them a lot of them who are, who are Indian, asking them and like cooking with them and just like are you surprised are you surprised she was open to the flavors because i feel like i mean i guess she had married your father but like indian (laughs) flavors can be uh you know very very harsh almost at times but like it's a lot right it's a lot to take on yeah i think she i think um she really likes spicy food so i think um she kind of treats it in a way very similar to Spanish cooking where she always has these like different packets of different flavor and um, spice mixtures and she kind of just treats it like that but I think she's definitely I think you're right that there's definitely like a learning curve and so maybe sometimes she makes it and she'll she'll say like oh I don't think this this might be too bland Um, and she'll she'll admit that and you know try and like improve it next time. Yeah, what, what, um, so I know I don't want to go into like your whole, um, parents' story. I'll save that for the podcast I do with them. But <laughs> the, I, I, when I saw them this past, like around the holidays, I couldn't help but see how many similarities they have with us living here in England. Mm-hmm. And I probably had just gotten done talking to my wife about how we need, my wife Asahan about how we need like friends and we need to reach out and expand our horizons a little bit over here yeah. because we're not here for when I first got here it was like we're, I was living in London I was in the American company I knew a ton of American people and stuff but that's not really the, yeah. the situation now um yeah. do you think you're gonna stay there for a while I think we'll stay here for a little while I mean if we I will get uh I don't know what it's called. I don't know. There's permanent a lot of phrases resident? here, but permanent residence, indefinite leave to remain. They say in two, in in one year, and then mm-hmm. in two years I will get a passport, and then oh. in three years, Aslan will get a passport, and that would be very good because right now her Turkish passport is not the best passport in the world, so. Um, it doesn't change everything, but if, if Brexit didn't happen, this would be a much bigger deal because it would mean we could go anywhere in Europe and just live there. Now, (laughs) all it really means is that we can travel anywhere in Europe without having to get a visa. Um, so we're kind of looking at that as a nice, somewhat short term timeline. Yep. But in that time, we are, we are certainly here, um, on our own somewhat. And it seems like your parents were similar, but then they, your mom is very outgoing. I think the difference I would say, and I've had this conversation with many friends who've moved to other cities and have had to like 
meet people as well. I think the biggest difference with him is being a doctor. When you're in a hospital, you're going into a hospital multiple days a week. And oftentimes you're working with people that you did some training with. And so you've known them before and just the hospital environment and the working style they have, there's just like a clear and natural draw for all of them to become friends outside of work. So all of my parents' friends, one of the parents was a doctor. Really? That's my dad had met them in the hospital. Aside from my mom's friends in like tennis and stuff like that, most of their friendships started with people that either of them met in the hospital because my mom's a nurse too. So those friendships really started there in that kind of environment. That's interesting. And it probably, like you said, it says something about the hospital itself it's almost like a sports team or like a yeah like the the military or something i mean i i maybe i'm only saying that because of covid but like some of our friends that i know that were doctors and er's during covid like uh john who's a doc who's a doctor er doctor who's a resident at winthrop when covid happened and it's like going through that with a bunch of people is how yeah. can you not be friends with them, right? Like you're, you're totally, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a major in college in a way too, where yeah. you know you kind of you see the same patients. You're kind of discussing that that topic. Unlike the work that we do in tech or even finance yeah. and stuff like that, you're not really discussing that work outside of work. Or there's not much to like. Maybe there is. Maybe there should be. But learn from one another. But I feel like with doctors, it's like, oh, I saw this new thing today, and just even just the culture of you have to be in the same place, oftentimes collaborating with one another for 10 hours a day creates that kind of friendship that, yeah. And the that stakes bond. are high too, you know, like, yeah, I think it, I think it really brings people together. And I, what's happened a little bit at, in the finance world for me, because of the, I was on the trading floor and there, there's this, I would say somewhat simulated urgency where yeah. like every day you have to get things done and there's an intensity that I don't know that it's necessary but it certainly brings people together to be like oh we have to get this thing done very soon um, but okay so so when they were when you were growing up though um, my understanding is like not a lot of your family was directly around was that mm-hmm. something hard hard for them and like did they end up trying to i i I can only imagine that at that time it probably wasn't as easy to see family either no i think it was really hard i mean luckily and my my sister and i are so close in age that my mom had two kids under two um which is very hard um so i think like she stopped working pretty much immediately um and luckily my grandmother um, was able to come up for extended periods of time and, and stay for many months um, to help her. But other than that, they didn't have any family support. So they leaned a lot on friendships that they had made in the hospital from prior to having kids that they just maintained. And we have some like very close friends that just treated us like family, even though they had extended family here and all over Long Island. Um, they treated us just like them, and 
in those days, things like going to the airport with two little kids, like my parents would have to do, was also was all, already hard, right? There was no Uber, no nothing. So those people would, like my family friends would come and just pick us up, take us to the airport, pick us up from the airport, things like that, anytime we had to do a trip. So they just built that community of yeah. people that felt like family. And I think that was important. I don't know what they would have done without that. Yeah, it's really good for their growth too, I'm sure, and probably yours. Like, did you did you recognize this as being different than those friends you had or the, like their friends that, oh, you know, they seem to have this extended family. They have like a, I don't know, Thanksgiving dinner with 25 people coming to one house or another and we're not having that. And like, because this is something that comes up a lot having um, a kid is yeah. there's the opportunity to provide them with certain things, it seems like. And thankfully, I hope I can provide more at times than I was provided. But like sometimes not having those things is was definitely for the best. And mm-hmm. being the fourth child for me, I got a lot of hand-me-down stuff or... <laughs> You know, just naturally, you're not going to get as much time with your parents as the first child's going to get. Um, did you know, did you, yeah, did you recognize some of these things? And do you think it was beneficial or, or specifically difficult to like feel like, oh man, I, I don't have this large extended family nearby? I think, I think when I was really little, it, maybe I didn't feel it as much because we did have some, some of those people that were built into our routine. Like every weekend we had, um, I guess it was like four other kids that were my like fake cousins that we would spend time with and we would do, you know, Chuck E. Cheese or anything with, and they just felt like they felt like our siblings. Um, and, my aunts um, treated us like their kids um, in a lot of ways. So That's I, great. I think I think that only when I I turned nine and we went to India for the first time and I met that was the first time I met my actual real cousins did I start to internalize like oh wow there's this ten other first cousins of mine that I've never met in my life that exist in the world and that's kind of crazy that they could live near me like all of my other friends have and I could spend time with them, but like that isn't possible. Um, so that yeah. was eye opening. And I think it's what's kind of cool is in a way is, and sad, like I've only met them three times total, uh, just in my trips to India, thankfully some of them came to my wedding, but we're still very similar. <laughs> You know, even though we're not close, we're not best friends and I'm not close with them and I don't have this background of growing up with them. Um, We're just, we're all very similar in this like strange way. Yeah. I'm sure your father and like his siblings are similar parents and that probably bleeds out into, goes out into the children, if not for like the genetic part. I mean, just the way he, he raises you. Um, yeah, that's cool. I mean, it, it's it's funny because it's something I'm certainly 
going to be thinking about the rest of my life is like how raising a kid separated and, and we we get this now i mean even just today arda's cousin wanted to talk on facetime but she doesn't fully recognize that the time zones are different so mm-hmm. she'll ask after he goes to sleep and it's like and then they're both mm-hmm. she she has just gotten old enough to really understand that he's somewhere else he'll get back to new york the times we've been there and the, this past year he recognized faces and that was fun to see that he yeah. could like be at ease with certain people and be excited to be around certain people my mom or whoever it yeah. is and but as he gets older I, i'm sure that's going to become somewhat more difficult because he's going to mm-hmm. wonder why like why am i not near these people all the time yeah um, i think he'll develop his you know friendships and make friends with folks that he sees regularly and I think it's cool now that we have technology to stay in touch you know and he totally he'll be able to know his cousins and other relatives this is like on on a funny note I feel like you know you and I were really um really lucky to grow up in in a town where I think people are very close and we both had a lot of consistency in our childhood. Um, Mm -hmm. And people have stayed close. We've been lucky to have friends since from when we were really young. Um, But some of the people we went to college with had a very sort of different experience. Like they traveled Mm -hmm. around a lot or moved around Mm -hmm. a lot. And I found them to be, I find them to be very resilient and Mm -hmm. also like sort of able to dream about what their life would become at like a different plane that Mm -hmm. it kind of took me a little while to Mm. get to, you know, I looked at moving right back to New York and it was like, Oh, I'm going to work in finance and hopefully move back to garden city. And like, it wasn't until I was 24, 10 Mm. years ago that I said, you know, maybe this is not what I want to do. And for some of our other friends, it seemed like, there was no sort of option like that. Like no, like safety There's no going option. back. Where do you go back was, to? Cause you lived yeah. in so many places. Yeah, exactly. And like, do you think, did you see that at all? Do you think that that was helpful for people? And like, I mean, I guess there's no better, right? Like you just are who I you know. are and you have the childhood you do, but yeah. do you ever, have you ever thought about that? I I've thought about from so many angles, even my co- my two cousins who live in the U.S. that I'm closest with that are, they grew up in India. They grew up all over the world. They grew up in China, India, Indonesia. They came to the U.S. for college. And they're not going to go back to India. Most yeah. people that come, like, our, like my parents, like they didn't come here to go back and not that they came here for college. But I guess my point is, I think it's really cool for that experience to enable them to open their eyes. And I agree with you very much was in the same boat. Never thought I would move to California. I don't know. I remember the dinner we had that you convinced me to come out to visit, but I, I, but it feels, I remember thinking that that was such a crazy idea. Um, And I think it is because, yeah, I lived, my parents live in the same house that I, that we moved to when I was six months old. And I never lived anywhere else, and 
I think that comfort creates this um, maybe more like limited view of what you can do. But I don't know if it's bad or good. You know, many years ago, it was like the norm, right? Decades ago, you just yeah. go to college and you go back to work or you go back home. That was, and then you don't really, as, not aspire is not the right word, right? Because not, because leaving home isn't always like an aspiration and it shouldn't be yeah. like viewed as the goal and the ideal, but um, you just don't know anything else. That's just what everybody does. And I think when you start to see that that's not the only option and the internet and technology has just continued to exacerbate that, um, you, I don't know, maybe you're kind of left with this feeling of always wanting more, always wanting something different. So I, I kind of, I, I, I agree with you that there's like no right answer, but I, it makes me wonder whether or not that constant moving will always make you feel inadequate or like unhappy with where you are. Yeah. I hear you. And it's, it comes up a lot more now. I think like the first couple of years I was away for Thanksgiving, it was like a badge of honor. And maybe it was that being in San Francisco, it's like we had so many friends around on Thanksgiving with them. Now I'm just like, damn, I want to get home for Thanksgiving once in a while and mm. like be around people. And, and it's just a small example, but you know, um, it is funny cause there's like on the one side, I, you know, I'm I'm a hour hour one hour trip from like the beaches of Spain, but then on the other side, I'm like, you know, missing small birthdays and things like that. And it's like, is there a better right? Uh, cool, Arian, thanks for coming on, chatting. It was Thank good to you. talk to you. I haven't haven't seen you in a while. I know. I need to change that. I'm gonna follow up with you on my April plans. I have a wedding in Scotland, so now that I Oh, really? really think about it. I want to come to London on the way. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think there's direct flights from California over to London. <laughs> and we. I have a car over here. I'm just a short. I could pick you up, pick you up at the airport. <laughs> you could spend a nice little day in the countryside. Would love the that. Fam. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you so much. Well, for... now, now you kind of publicly made the commitment. So. <laughs> I'm down. I'm in. <laughs> We're going to be city biking around London, too. Yeah, of course. Cool. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Uh, we'll Thank talk you. soon. Yeah. Bye. Lucky me getting a chance to talk to all these cool people. Thanks for listening to this episode of Settled Far. All the music you're hearing comes from Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates, the grooviest band around. Until next time. Keep it rad out there, ladies and gentlemen.